and you will be in. You know, there's a power living on the inside of us, guys, that we don't even, we ignore. Maybe that we're not touching it. Maybe we're not allowing it to come out. But there's a power on the inside of us. And that power is the dunamis power, the dynamite power, which comes by the Holy Ghost. So nothing is going to change unless we allow the Holy Spirit through us to be magnified, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we thank you tonight for just trying to adjust this light. Thank you tonight that the Holy Spirit is with us. He's a promise from the Father that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So, yeah, man, I've got, I've got my gloves on. That's ready to fight. So I pray that you, tonight's message is, is about the unknown God. And it comes from, uh, from the book of Acts. So if you want to go to Acts chapter 17, I want, I want you to follow me here tonight. And um, I want you to understand that um, I'm a picture person. I've seen pictures. I've seen stories. I'm a storyteller. I like to see the gospel. Jesus spoke in parables and spoke in allegory, and you know, that's just me. So I really want you to understand a little bit of what I'm trying to say tonight, and and bring it into our day and age. There's a. I remember a guy many years ago told me that you know what, somebody can steal your theology, can take your theology, can argue your theology but no one can ever take your testimony. And your testimony is to, that you testify what Jesus did in your life. And sometimes we need to be reminded about what Jesus has done for us. And that's where we go back to stories and we go back to, to different um, uh, books of the Bible. Is remember this. You see, Jesus said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit and he'll bring this to your remembrance. When we have communion, what are we doing? We are remembering what Jesus did at the cross. The Holy Spirit will bring remembrance of the word because things that I have spoken to you. Um, remember the days of old, the Bible says. And today we're going to have a look at what Paul did, the Apostle Paul. Uh, for those who are online, welcome. For those who are watching on Facebook or on YouTube, be blessed in the name of Jesus. He's the only one that's going to satisfy your soul. He's the only one that knows you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. For those who are bald, he knows every hair that used to be on your head. But either way, he knows you. Hallelujah. And I'm not far behind you, so don't worry. But the Apostle Paul, and I want to talk about this tonight in uh, Acts chapter 17. It's a lot to read, so I'm not going to read it all. But let me give you a rundown. So Paul now, He's preaching the gospel. He's going from city to city, from country to country, from village to village. And now he's gone into, into another land. And he ends up in Thessalonica, which is where we get the book of Thessalonians. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to explain it to you. And he goes into the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue. And, um, and he goes in and starts teaching them. And in, in verse uh, 3, of six, chapter 17, verse 3, he's explaining and demonstrating that the Christ must suffer and die and rise again. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So he's teaching the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. He's telling them, listen, guys, 
the reason why you you see it a different way, but he must have suffered and he preached the gospel to them. Now, a lot of people in that time were very angry with him, saying that he's preaching a false god. And the story goes that um, they come to Jason, if you keep reading, a brother in the Lord, and they, they arrest him because they're hiding Paul and Silas and Timothy. And it's amazing here, they say, you know, in verse, um, in verse 6, he says, but when they did not find them there, so they went to Jason's house, they dragged Jason and some other brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who turned the world upside down have come here too. Can I ask you a question? Is your faith turning your world upside down? Are you that strong in your faith? In this, When I say strong, I don't mean strong. I'm saying, are you upset in the apple cart? Are people upset with you because of what you believe? Because if you are, you're doing a good thing. Now, you're not out to go and upset someone for the sake of upsetting them. You don't have to go and turn things upside down for the sake of turning upside down. No, no, no. He is saying that these guys that have turned the world upside down have come here now. In other words, they're preaching this, this, this foreign Jesus, this weird God he's, he's talking about, and it's turning the world upside down. And here, they, uh, they, 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 we, as you keep reading, he talks about that they get rid of Paul. Paul has, has to escape. Now, what, what I'm trying to get at is that Paul never had it easy. We read, um, we read a lot about Paul and a man of faith. Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And he was in jail when he wrote that. He was in chains when he wrote that. He was neck high in the sewer system. So the jail was under a sewer system and he was neck high in that sewer system. Imagine the stench and the smell. The smell itself should have killed you. And this is the man that wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Be of good cheer. Wow. What did Paul know that we don't? What did Paul understand that we're not understanding? We keep going just for the sake of time. I can't read it all, but if you get a chance, read the whole of chapter 17. Now he goes across from Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, that's all, folks. And he goes to a place called Berea. Now, the Bereans, it's known in the Bible that they were people that studied the word and they were hearing Paul preach. So they went through the word every day to see, is this guy, does this marry up, this Jesus that died and rose again? Does it marry up with the scripture? And when he would preach to them, they were a lot more fair-minded, the Bible says, they're a lot more fair-minded than the people from Thessalonia. Now, was that village was stiff-necked, rough people. It reminds me of a few villages I know here. But anyway... And the Bereans, they, um, they were a bit more fair-minded. And many people believed in the Lord Jesus when he preached. But then the guys from Thessalonica got upset and they came across to start persecuting the people in Berea. And we'll keep going down. So we're getting down now. I want to get, pick it up from verse 16. By this time, they've Paul and Silas stayed in Berea. And now Paul has been taken over to Athens. And he heads over to Athens. And I want you to understand something. So he's been to, you know, Thessalonia. He's preached the gospel there. They didn't take the word lightly. They didn't like what he had to say. Then he goes to Berea. They accepted the word. They studied the word. They were open-minded. Then the guys from Thessalonia come and started to persecute everybody, stirring up the pot. And these people were coming to persecute Paul and the words he was speaking. They didn't agree with the thing he was saying. Now he had to move away from there. 
and now he's now he's in Athens. It's very interesting here. Now we're going to pick it up from verse 16. So it's chapter 17 and verse 16. And he says this, while Paul waited for them in Athens, talking about Timothy and Silas, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the whole city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles, worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then a certain bunch of people, if you know how to pronounce them, good luck, a guy from Granville and a guy from Carlingford, they were philosophers, encountered him. These guys were Greek philosophers. And they said, what does this babbler want to say? What's this guy babbling about? Others said he seems to be proclaiming a foreign God because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. you got to hear me out here. He preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And we'll go back to that later. And they took him and brought him to the Aragabaeus, which was a leader saying, may we know what this guy is, this new doctrine in which he speaks, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things are or what these things mean. For all the uh, people from Athens, they're, they're foreigners. They used to come to this place, and it was like a soapbox area, and these different philosophers would come, and different ideas would come, and they would speak about them in that area. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. What, what is this new thing? Then Paul stands up, and I love what Paul says. He stands up in the midst of these, these people, and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are very religious. Another translation says, very superstitious. Sounds like people we know. Very superstitious. For as I was passing through, considering all the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now you got to remember, he's in this city and he's having a look at the Jewish believers and they themselves, if you read it in this context, the whole city has become to idol worship. they got idols and altars made everywhere for different gods, for different reasons. And he says here the whole city, and his Bible says that his spirit was provoked within him. You know, he was grieved. And he says there, I perceive that you're very superstitious or very religious. And you got altars everywhere. But there's one altar that you have. It says to the unknown God. Therefore, he says to him, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. You know what? There's idols everywhere. There's statues everywhere. There's altars everywhere. He says, but there's one altar that's got to the unknown God. And he stops there. Now, Paul could have rebuked them for saying, idol worship is against God. You can have a demon manifestation because of idols. You are, you're an abomination before the Lord. Um, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not have any, any engraved images. He, went, he could have said a lot of things, which is true. But what he did say was, you know what? I'm going to find common ground here. See, God, his spirit was provoked. He was angry. But he said, you know what? I'll get wisdom from above, and I'm going to preach on this unknown God, the one that you are worshipping, but you don't even know him. Look what he says in verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all life, breath and all things. 
He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings. So they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being, as also some of you, your poets would say, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are offsprings of God, we ought to not think that the divine nature is like gold and silver or stone, something shaped by the art and man's devices. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which we will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he had ordained. That man he ordained is Jesus. And he has given him assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Praise Jesus. And when he when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them. And he goes on to about other men and women that believed. Now Jesus, is, uh, sorry, Paul's in the midst of this city of Athens. And he sees altars everywhere. Can I say something to you? What's an altar? An altar is a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of where you you give, you do something in in a type of worship to a deity to appease him. Or if I give my life to it, I'm worshiping it like an altar. You know, right now in the world right now, we've got people crying out for help in every situation. And the altar of some people is the doctor is their job, is the government, is uh, YouTube. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's all different types of altars. And yet, are we preaching the gospel? Are we telling them that the hope is not in anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified? Here, Paul is pretty intelligent, and I believe it's, it's obviously the work of the Holy Spirit. He sees a, an unknown God. He says, oh, let's talk about him. And he preaches the gospel to them. If you go backwards, you see he preaches the gospel to them here. The gospel to them there. You know, everywhere you go, he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I love what he says here. He says here, um, when we go down a bit further, he says everything that in the life of him, he gives life to all things. Uh, sorry, yeah, here we go. Verse 25 says, he won't be worshipped with man's hands, though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath all things. He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not very far from each of us. What a promise. God that created the heaven and the earth, that gave life to all things, they set the boundaries of the earth. And he's saying, I'm not far from you. Come and seek me when you can find me. And Paul, Paul's in the midst of these religious superstitions for all these philosophies. And, mate, we've got a lot of philosophies at the moment, haven't we? We've got things that they talk about Jesus and it's all about New Age. They talk about Jesus and it's all tarot card reading. They talk about Jesus, but they say an angel here, an angel there. And you've got all these superstitions. And it's all coming to nothing 
because then nothing comes out. You see, you see, I don't even dwell in man-made temples. Whatever you make from me, I'm not there. Like I need you to do something for me. <laughs> I gave breath and life to everything. And he is saying to these people, listen to me. This Jesus of Nazareth went to the cross, died and rose again. God or God gave him the premise. In other words, God has uh, qualified Jesus by raising him from the dead. And he gives life now. We live and move and have our being in him. Verse 28, for in him, in who? When he says him, who is he talking about? Everyone say it, Jesus. Everyone say it again, Jesus. In him, Jesus, we live, we move, and we have our being. In him. In him, let's say it again, verse 28. For in him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being. You know what? If any man be in Christ, is a new creation. No longer I live. No longer Tony lives. But Christ lives in me. Wow. And yet we think we can do something for God. My question to you today is, are you preaching the gospel? So you've got this idea that to preach the gospel, you've got to be a pastor or you've got to be an evangelist or you've got to be gifted in it. No, 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 no. You, when you share your faith in hope, in love, you're preaching the gospel. It's an amazing thing. Turn with, let's go to First Thessalonians. So I talked about he went to Thessalonians. This is Paul preaching in those areas. Let's go to First Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were attacking Paul. And I don't want to read the whole thing again because it's so good, man. The more I read it, the more excited I got. How do people's hearts change? Not by evidence. See, if you preach the gospel, you stand firm on what you believe and you understand that your life is in the life of Christ, that you get the wisdom of God. I love what Paul said in, in, in back in Athens. His spirit was provoked in him. And as he got really stirred up in his spirit, because all he saw is the city went into idol worship, which was witchcraft, rebellion. But what did he do? He got wisdom from the Father. He didn't say, look, I can't go there. There's principalities and powers here. He didn't say, man, this guy's not, they don't give me any authority to preach. No, 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 no. He goes, you know what? That unknown God, let me tell you about him. That altar had nothing to do with Jesus. That altar, that unknown God, had nothing to do with God. But he used it to preach the gospel. See, right now, we should be getting wisdom from above to preach the gospel today in this time. Hallelujah. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Preach the good. If you keep reading in Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, you talk about he gets taken to the rulers of the synagogue and the rulers of, of the village and, the, and their hearts changed. Why? He preached the gospel to them. You want to change hearts of the politicians? Pray for them. Preach the gospel to people. You want to change the hearts of people? Are we under attack? Are we under affliction? Yeah, we are. Preach the gospel. Every opportunity, preach the gospel. If you go back to uh, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 15 and 16, it's one of my favourite stories where Paul has a vision and a certain man in the vision if you go back even further, it talks about Paul wanted to go to Asia and the Holy Spirit forbid him, didn't let him go. 
He ends up going to Macedonia because he has a vision of a man. Listen to this. He has a vision of a man. It says, come. Come to Macedonia and help us. He doesn't know who that man is, but he goes anyway. And he went, when, when he goes to Macedonia in Philippi, uh, there's a lady with a demon spirit. Now, she was what she was doing, she was a fortune teller. She was a soothsayer. And she was making her bosses a lot of money. And that's a story for another day. If someone asked me that question, how can she know the future? Well, she wasn't telling the future, but she was in demonic uh, spirits that were making money for their for their bosses. And I can explain that later in another day. But now, this woman is this slave woman is owned by these by these men who make who she makes them a lot of money. Is yelling out, "These are the servants of the Most High God. They teach you the way of salvation." Wow. That lady knew who they were. She knew who Paul was. These are the servants of God, and they'll teach you the way of salvation. This went on for hours and for days, and finally Paul had enough. And he looks at the girl and says, come out, you foul spirit. He, he, he cast the demon out of the girl. And from that moment, she could not tell the future or, or, or um, could not dabble in the, uh, in, the, in the demonic prophetic witchcraft anymore. And their bosses could not make money anymore, that very minute. But hang on a second, hang on a second. Whoa, time out. The girl wasn't saying anything wrong, was she? She was saying the truth. These are the servants of the Most High God. But Paul realised that the person speaking wasn't of God. The demon in her can see the glory of God, can see the manifestation of God on Paul. And this servant can't help but tell the truth. But she was no... The girl itself wasn't speaking. And when Paul cast it out of her, instead of these guys thinking, well, she must have been right, they got him arrested and put him in jail because they couldn't make money anymore. And while they're in jail, come 12 o'clock, the midnight hour, what were they doing? They were in lockup. We're in lockdown, but he was in lockup, in chains. Him and Paul and Silas. What did they do? Did they write a letter? Did they complain to the union? <laughs> did they, what did they do? They worshipped God and gave thanks. And God broke them out of that jail. The, the, the cell doors opened. Not just them. Everybody in the jail was ready to go free. It was like an earthquake. But what they do? They stayed in the jail. Well, when you run, man, imagine, imagine Paul and Silas in jail and Silas looks at Paul and says, had a vision, did you? God gave you a vision, huh? If God gave you a vision, what are we doing in jail? But when they, when they were ready, they, they could have escaped. The jailer ran down and thought they had escaped. He's about to kill himself. They said, don't hurt yourself. We're here. You freaked out. What did they do? They preached the gospel to him. And that very hour, him and his whole family gave their life to Jesus and got baptised. You know why he didn't leave? Because that was the man he saw in the vision. He went to Macedonia for that one man. And the Bible says a, a revival broke out from that one man. He was in lockdown. He was in chains. What did he do? He gave thanks to the Father and then he preached the gospel. And you can go through that whole chapter in Acts. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, so first, here, this, is the, this is the city of, this is the church in Thessalonians. 
But when Paul went there in Acts, they weren't believers. Now they're a church established and Paul's writing to them. And look what he says in verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also everywhere, in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that you may not need to, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Here we go again. Talking about Jesus being raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. And here he's telling the very same people that was attacking him and following him from village, village to village and persecute are the very same people now that received the word of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders happen. And now they're getting afflicted. If you read the whole Thessalonians, it talks about this a lot. And he says, but you are waiting. You used to worship idols. But now you're waiting for the sun from heaven. Talking about Jesus, who God raised from the dead. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Do we believe we're under some sort of wrath now? Are we under affliction now? Are we going through some torture now? Are we looking up? Are we encouraging ourselves in the Lord right now? Are we looking up and saying, when it, Lord's coming, and he'll put everything under his feet? Hallelujah. This is where God wants us. This is where our, God wants our heart right now. He wants us to understand that right now, we're not where we want to be. And there's a lot of rubbish going on around the world. But are we encouraging each other in the Lord? Is it a place? Go, go to First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Are we encouraging one another, knowing that our hope is in the resurrection? That may, if I die in the flesh, I'll be raised again in the spirit. Paul said this, to me to live is beneficial, but for me to die is gain. I'd rather be up there with the Father. I've seen it. But you know what? I better be, I've got a job to do right here. So we've all got a job to do right here. First, we have to understand the Father's love for ourselves and we share the amazing grace of God. And probably in the last two, three weeks, guys, all I've ever been doing is sharing Jesus with people. People I never thought in a million years that would they'd be open to the gospel. But they've lost hope. They've lost, they've done everything in their own strength. They're looking for someone to save them. But the only saviour is Jesus. And this is a time to preach the good news. See, it's a time for us to be the light and the salt of the earth. Light shines. Salt brings flavour. It preserves. Look at this in First Thessalonians 3, chapter 1, verse 1. He goes, therefore, when... We could no longer endure it. We thought it would be good to, to be left in Athens alone. I sent for Timothy, our brother, a minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, 
For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that you would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to you to know your faith, least by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labour might be in vain. Now, Paul is talking to his church, asking for what's going on there. Has the devil wiped them out? Have they lost their faith? They're going through affliction. They're going through a tribulation. I don't know what was happening at the time exactly, but there must have been persecution. They must have been locked out of jobs. They weren't allowed to go to synagogues anymore. They were alienated from one another. And Paul was concerned for their faith. But look what he says here in verse 6. I'm excited about this. This is who we are. This is who we want to be. He says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greeting, desiring to see us as we also see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For the, what thanks can we render to God for you, all the joy which it was which we rejoice for, your sake before God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. In other words, he's saying here, when Timothy came and gave me word, you haven't lost your faith. You are exceeding in your affliction. I know you are in distress, but we are confident to know that you have not lost the faith. Hallelujah. It's not a time for us to lose our faith and ask, where is God? Why isn't God doing this? This is too hard. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But Paul was excited. Look at this. Paul's excited that they are going through tribulation. They're going through affliction. He warned them as a great leader would warn, a father in the faith would warn you. But he's excited, not that they're going through that. He's excited that their faith has, they haven't lost their faith. Does that sound familiar where we are today? Does that sound familiar? These are the same people that were persecuting Paul and now getting persecuted for the very thing that they believed on. Now, my message tonight is to know that there's people out there are worshipping an unknown God. And it's up to us to tell them about that unknown God. It's about us to tell them. I sat with a guy the other day. He told me about the whole of what the enemy is doing. He can tell me about what the conspiracy, everything. And he'll go to the Bible, which he doesn't read, but he, he, he obviously gets passages and they make everything fit. And I said to him one question, bro, you know a lot about the devil. Tell me a little bit about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Blank. I said, you know more about the devil than you know about Jesus. So I can't feed you with any hope because you're full of fear, anxiety, and and devil worship. Because I don't worship the devil because, no, you don't. But every minute of your day is watching him. You might, as well, you might as well worship him. Every minute of your day is about what's wrong, what they're doing, what Kevin. What about Jesus? Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And I started to preach the gospel to him. Started to tell him how much God loves him. Started to tell him how much hope we got. Yeah, we go through hard times, but hard times don't last. But people with faith and hope love. You know, the thing is, he had to get his mind renewed. He had to understand that. He goes, he had a half picture. I say this a lot. People see a half picture. Oh, the Bible says that. Yeah. 
Let me show you what the Bible says in it's a, in full picture. People tell me all the time, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Yeah, but he rose again. That you may have life. That you may give up your life for him. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for sin, not for you to keep sinning. That's only half a story. Jesus died on the cross for my sin and saved me with his blood. That's only half a story. He rose again to give me life. If Jesus just died on the cross for me, never rose again, I have no power. See, Paul says this, the resurrection of the dead, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, then what we believe in is in vain. He basically said, we're the most pitiful of human beings that believe what we believe. And I don't care if you forgive, you feed the poor, you, you look after the orphans, you do all that stuff. If there's no resurrection from the dead, there's no, there's no way. It's an absolute, the most pitiful human beings on this earth. But what defines us, listen to me, what defines us than every other religion? Most religions believe in a God. They believe in a sovereign being. They believe in forgiving. They believe in helping others. They believe in worship. They believe in prayer. They believe in, you know, looking after their family. A lot of people, a lot of religions. What defines us? Our God came to us, died, and rose again. Unlike every other religion, every other person that came before Jesus, after Jesus, no one has risen from the dead. The resurrection life in Christ lives in us. And this is an amazing. When we talk about the devil, what does he attack the most? You don't see anyone attacking other religions. He only attacked Christianity. The devil himself knows the truth. He knows. That's why they call him in the last days. There'll be an anti-Christ. The word Christ means anointing. There'll be many people in the last days that will believe in Christ. Sorry, they'll believe in Jesus, but deny the anointing. The last day doesn't say an anti-Jesus. It says an anti-Christ, an anti-anointing. He comes against the rural anointing, the anointed one. He claims to be that one. You hear me? It won't be an anti-Jesus. You'll see a lot of people with Jesus on, on, on their buildings and crosses and they'll claim, they'll go by his name, but they'll deny the power of his resurrection. They'll deny the anointed one. Be very careful. Take heed. And here I'm, I'm, I'm excited when I read this. It said the unknown God. And I just thought this really spoke to my heart because the same people, I remember, oh, wow, it's going to be at least at least six, seven years when I met Rabs and and um, we uh, I preached at his house. When I first met Rabs, I preached and God moved. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never seen God move my in a way he did in that meeting that day. And I haven't seen it since. It was a mighty manifestation of God's glory. We left 2 o'clock in the morning. I think I laid hands on about 80 people. People, it was just it was just amazing, sovereign move of the Father. And there was a lot of stuff happened after it, and poor Rabs got absolutely hammered, got attacked. <laughs> they started a website against him. They, they're putting uh, pamphlets on telegraph poles against him, and I just went home. <laughs> so, but I remember in that midst there, there was a few, you know, people took photos and put it on Facebook and then, oh, I was 
it was chaos. It was chaos. And I remember sitting at work one day and I'm thinking, wow, what happened last night? And then the next day, and then I remember speaking to the rabs on the phone, what like it was just an amazing move of God. And I remember I was at work, I remember clear where I was. And I remember I was at my duplex at, in, in, Oatland, in Tilopia and I was in the trenches. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and says, these people that have turned the world upside down have come here. And it was just in my spirit. I, I didn't hear an audible voice. I just heard it in my spirit. So I was, I was working at the time. And so I, at lunchtime I went and sat down and I got my phone and I went through the Bible. So I'd, I'd read it. I knew it, but I didn't know exactly where it was. And I looked. And then and I read it in the Acts. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, it's time to turn the world upside down. And I thought, wow. And I looked at that time. And there was a lot going on in that time. The first place he turns upside down is you and me. He turns us upside down. He gets into our little life and he mucks it up. And the little beautiful picture we had for our life, he turns it upside down. Then he turns everything around you upside down. Because what we preach the gospel, the gospel gets into every area of life, every area of society, every area of whatever you want to call it in, in your world, around your world. See, when we preach the gospel, we preach it out of the love of the Father's heart. And some will listen and some won't. You know, I think... A lot of people come up to me and oh, I shared the gospel with my family. They didn't listen. That's it. They're done. <laughs> they couldn't get saved through you, so don't worry about them getting not getting saved from you. In other words, you preach the gospel, you sow the seed, and you leave it to the Holy Spirit. Because I know there's people now, 18 years, they wouldn't even talk to me because of my faith. I thought I was lost my marbles. And 18, 19 years later, they want to hear what's going on now. Why? I'm no one's judge. All I do is stand firm in the love of the Father. See, we got to understand how much did God love Jesus? When How much did Jesus love God? You know, there's no greater act of faith is when you're dying on a cross. And you got to remember Jesus was a man and he was fully God but fully man. So he had all the emotions, had all the pain, went through that resurrection, uh, the, the, the crucifixion. And he's on a cross with his arms stretched out. And he knows now it's time to give up his spirit and die. He says, into your hands I give you my spirit. What an act of faith, because if God does not raise him from the dead, Jesus is still in that grave. Think about that. One of the greatest acts of faith. He's not in a comfortable state. He's actually in the most painful physically, emotionally, spiritually. Bible just... The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. So imagine how we feel when we've sinned and we're going to pay you that price. Imagine carrying the sins of the world, past, present, and future. No wonder he looked disfigured unto human recognition. It wasn't just from the beatings. Spiritually, I looked upon him and he just was ugly to look at. In Isaiah, it talks about they, were, they martyred his face. He didn't look human. Think about that for a second. Spiritually, solely, and physically, he was an abomination to the eye. And yet he has he wasn't in a nice setting. 
He was in the worst state any human being could be. And he says, into your hands I give you my spirit. And God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. Because that was the promise of the Father. And now there's promises for us. They're yes and amen. You know, if you go through the whole scripture, I love, look at Peter. Go to Cornelius' house. What did he do? Preach the gospel. You got the uh, Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah in the back of a chariot. And he, Andrew shows up. What are you reading? He goes, Isaiah. Do you understand it? He goes, how can I? No one will tell me what it means. Because I'll tell you what it means. Preaches Jesus to him. Gets saved, gets baptized throughout the whole Bible. The Bible says do the work of an evangelist. Now we get we put our little little mental block on and we think an evangelist is Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, or anyone. No, no, an evangelist in the sense of the word, in the office of an evangelist, um, he um, he's more of a missionary, goes out, preaches the gospel. But and do the work of an evangelist, all of us, every time we sit with someone, every time we know someone, we share our faith, we share our love, we share our hope with people. You're an evangelist. You preach the good news. Your light shines. When I say preach, it could be in many different ways. But what I'm trying to get at to you today, that Paul was on a mission. And Paul went into the most harshest places. Listen to me. Paul went into the religious places. He was a pioneer. He went into places that didn't know the name of Jesus. And when you go into a culture that believed in something for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and you're taking that off them, you know, they get very angry. But praise be to Jesus that Paul had enough courage. And we know that Paul got arrested, got whipped five times, 30, uh, 40 lashes less one, five times. So he had 39 lashes, five different occasions. He got thrown outside the city and left for dead. He went through, he was shipwrecked. He was, he was jailed. He was accused. He was everything. All for what? To preach the gospel. God's probably not asking you and me to go through what he went through. But he's asking you to be the light on this earth. Because the hope of our calling is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You go through the whole scripture. And I'll beg and I'll dare anyone to go through the scripture and show anything else. Shine the light in darkness. You be the light to others. Listen to me. We all got to care at the moment. People are making have to make some hard decisions now. I know that. Me and myself, I've got four of us at home that we all might have to make a decision. But our decision is based on what? On, on will I do it this way? Will I do it that? You know, we come together and we preach the gospel. The gospel is in everything. What does Jesus die on the cross 2000 years got to do with my job today? <laughs> Someone told me that. What does, or I believe, but what does Jesus dying on the cross 2000 years got to do with my job? Well, my Bible says that while he was rich and took on poverty and became poor, so I can become rich. He broke the curse of poverty. So if my father in heaven didn't hold back Jesus, he's going to hold back $2.50. Is my father in heaven, is he getting us to a place where we just just purely relying on him to get the wisdom of God from him? Is, it what, is that what he's doing? 
is he, I said to him, the, the cross of Calvary isn't just about sin. Are you sick in the body? Because a lot of people are. The Bible says, I never gave you a spirit of fear. Well, what did he give me then? If God never gave me the fear, who gave it to me? The devil, me, my belief system. Well, hang on. If God never gave me a spirit of fear, what did God give me? Love. Jesus loved me for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that he who believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Power, that I have the power to overcome by the grace of God. The Bible says that while I'm weak, he is strong. The Bible says that you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We have power because of the blood of Jesus. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Jesus. Remember that song? There was power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. We have power. Then we have a sound mind, a stable mind. You don't have to go more than I don't have to go more than five minutes anywhere, and I'll find out people's minds are not sound. They're unstable. They are depressed. They are oppressed. They got so much going on. They don't know how what more. They just what I just heard that text message I got about the young girl killing herself. There's a young girl that had to didn't have to die. She didn't have to die because of wrong belief systems. And our job is to shine the light on that darkness. Our job, it's up to you and me, wherever you are. You know, I tell people, the quickest way to get rid of your depression is go do something for someone else. Self-pity is the same as self-righteousness. It's all about you. Self-pity is, woe me. Self-righteousness, look at me. It's all about me. But if I'm dead, if I'm supposed to be dead, I'm supposed to die to myself, that Christ can live. I'm not ignoring my needs. I'm not ignoring what I've got and don't have what I need. Or I am ignoring the fact that there's no power in that because my power is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. If you look here in Thessalonians, he says, you received the you received the, the word of the Lord by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and by the power of his might. With signs and wonders, you read it. And we can no longer be a powerless church. We have power in the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. And I want to just encourage you today. And I want you to see what comes out of your mouth. What's really, really in your heart right now? Honestly, what is it? Can we honestly look ourselves in the mirror and say we bring hope to someone? I'm not saying we don't have our down days. I don't say we don't get upset. I don't, don't, don't get me wrong when you get up. When I, I fire up every time I hear someone talk on the news or if I'm in the, in the car on the radio. That's why I don't listen to it. I've got anger issues, I know. Hallelujah. But it doesn't take two seconds before I bring my mind back to the mind of Christ. I had someone asked me the other day, are you taking the vax? <laughs> I laughed. I said, I took it. He goes, when? I got injected by the blood of Jesus. 
and I preached the gospel to them. I wasn't going to judge them. I don't know them. They're only asking because that's the common thing now. And I just preached the gospel to them, showed them the hope of the Lord, loved on them. Another one came to the kingdom. Praise be to Jesus. So as soon as we can get people baptised, man, we're going to have a heap of baptisms. But our job isn't to be anyone's judge. Our job right now is to control what we can control in our hearts. And in this time, God's working in our hearts. Because without me, you cannot produce any fruit. We have to abide in him. Amen? It talks about the day of the Lord here and in Thessalonians. And right at the end, I think I've said enough, but right at the end he says, do you believe that you've missed it, the Lord's second coming? Do you think you've missed the rapture? You know, people talk about when God covers and calls out his people. And he says to him one thing, he says, he says, don't be silly. Are you encouraging one another in the Lord that he's coming back and he's going to save us from wrath? You know, God's going to save us. He's going to, he's going to end divinely get in the way of what the enemy's trying to do. And he wants a people. You know, the thing is, we need to be a people that, that hail him as king one day and we want to crucify him the next. Hail the king of the Jews, palm trees. They put their clothes and then not even moments later, days later, weeks later, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. I want to close off just to, so you can understand something. Back in Acts, he says, God that created all things and made all people and put on this earth to know him. So all can know him because he's not far from you. What a beautiful promise that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're not far from us. If you look inwardly, the Holy Ghost lives inside you. Remember Stephen. He gets taken out of the city and they're stoning him. And they got rocks. And when they when they stone him, they're not getting little pebbles, man. They're getting boulders. And they took his clothes off. And they threw rocks at Stephen. And they're hitting this man. They kill him. And while Stephen's getting hit, he looks up. He sees a vision and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Today I was driving to work and I was preaching that sermon to myself and something just arose inside me. The Bible says throughout the whole Bible, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of majesty. He's seated in the throne of God. He's seated, he's seated, he's seated. If you think about that for a second, a king, when he sits, or let's say a king stands, enters a room, everyone stands. He's got his queen, he's got his the prince. Usually the prince sits at his right hand or, his, or the queen. But when they sit, everyone can sit. It means it's a time of rest. The word, when they say Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, it talks about he's, at, he's, at a, he's in a place of rest, a place of finished work. He went to the cross. And now it's the finished work of the cross. He sits. You understand that? It's like God the Father 
created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Well, God doesn't need a rest. He wasn't tired. He wasn't buggered that he needed to sit down and rest. It's a it's it's a it's a picture. Six days he created, and seventh day he sat and rested in the sense of I'm not tired, but he was in peace and looked at his creation. Christ did the same thing. His Bible says he's seated at the right. If you go through scripture, I've done this many years ago. There's about 15, 20 times I can read them all. Seated, 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 seated. And we see that picture that it's a finished work. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. But this time, Stephen's getting stoned. Listen to me. Stephen's getting stoned. And they're hitting him with rocks and boulders, killing him. And he says, "I'll, I'll look up and I saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And he prays a prayer to his killers and his accusers. He says, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And he dies. What an, what an amazing thing. I saw that in the spirit today. It's one of my favorite little stories because I saw Jesus standing. But hang on, it's a finished work. There's nothing else for Jesus to do. He's done a all at the cross. He was raised from the dead. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53, right there, he goes, Jesus makes intercession for us. Jesus brings us back to the Father. Jesus stood up to get Stephen and said, I'll take those words you just said. Do not hold that sin against them. And I'm taking you to my Father now. He gets up, makes intercession, brings Stephen. And where does he go? The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through me. Hallelujah. And he takes that. Look what he does. They take the, the clothes off Stephen, the killers, and they put the clothes of Stephen, sorry, their clothes, they took their clothes off because they, they don't want the blood all over their clothes. And they put it at the feet of a man named Saul. So they get it, he's in charge, Saul. And for those who are listening tonight and don't know who Saul was, Saul is the apostle Paul that we've been talking about for the last hour. His name was Saul. He was rounding up Christians and, and murdering Christians and locking them up, thinking, doing God a favour. And now Stephen, who just actually rebuked all the Pharisees, gets taken out. He's getting stoned. And the clothes of these, of these people killing Stephen at the feet of Saul. In other words, he was in charge of this murder, of this execution. And Stephen looks up and says, I see the Son of Man standing in power and majesty and glory. Hallelujah. It says, don't hold this sin against them. And Jesus got up and he took those prayers. What did he do with those prayers? Not long after that, you see Saul going to Damascus. And guess who gets knocked off the horse? Saul. Guess who goes blind for three days? Saul. Guess who gets saved? Saul. Guess who starts to preach the gospel? And I think there's 12 books out of the New Testament all written by Paul. And God changes his name from Saul to Paul. All from one prayer of intercession. Now, we know Paul was the man out of a Jewish season. We know Paul, God appointed, but it took Stephen to show them the Father. He prayed the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Praise be to Jesus. That's got to be our heart right now. Our heart right now has to be, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
our heart, it should be about sharing the light of the gospel, sharing the goodness of God. I, sh- I started in the beginning of my teaching was they can steal your theology, but they can't steal your testimony. So what is your testimony? I don't mean that Jesus came, knocked you off a horse, sent you blind, and you had scars in your eyes. I'm not talking about that testimony. I'm not saying that the day you're walking down the street and an angel visited you and you got saved. I'm not talking about that testimony. I'm talking about what comes out of your heart when you speak about Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. The Bible says we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of my testimony, and we don't love our life unto death. The word says, the word of a testimony, which is what word's that? Not my testimony, which is hopes. When I share my testimony, get people saved. Amen. It's the testimony of Jesus. What did Paul do? Paul, I don't read anywhere where Paul, and I love testimonies, don't get me wrong. I got saved from testimonies. Like they challenged me. I'm, I remember everyone's testimony. But I don't see Paul anywhere going through anywhere, Thessalonians, Macedonia, anywhere, and sharing about what happened to him. He shares about Jesus. It comes out later that what happened to him, but he was testifying to Jesus, that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord. Jesus' name is above every disease, sickness and de- out there. Anything that has a name, Jesus' name is above that name. We have a name that's above every name. We have a king that's above every king. We have a God that's above every false God. We have a Holy Spirit, not a demon spirit. We don't have a dove spirit or enlightened spirit or a candle spirit or ancestral spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And we have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's for you. We can't do this walk without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this walk without the Holy Spirit. If what makes us think that we can live this life without the Holy Spirit when Peter, James, John, Matthew all saw Jesus do all the miracles, sat with Jesus, ate with Jesus, was taught by Jesus, saw him crucified, saw him rise from the dead, he says, but wait for the promise to come. And then you'll be my witnesses. What makes us think we can live this life without the Holy Ghost? If they needed him, how much more us? Hallelujah. I want to close. And I want you to be encouraged tonight. That this is nothing new. But what we need to understand is like the Thessalonian church. Paul, I want to see your faith. Has the tempter tempted you so bad that you lost your faith? And he was excited that they went through hell. And they came out on top. We're going to win this. Christ has not forgotten us. We're going to win this. The devil can throw his best shot. The devil can do whatever he thinks he's doing. He thinks he's winning. But our Lord is coming. Whether it's tomorrow, whether it's another 10, 20, doesn't matter. But he's coming. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And it's a blessing to know, just like Paul. Come here. You can tell me about Bill Gates and tell me about everything else. Let me tell you about this unknown God that you worship that you don't even know about. 
the God of lights, who gives life to all men, can restore all things. Amen? There's a work to be done out there. I meet people, I see people every day. And you go through the underlying issues and there's a lot more deeper issues than what's on the surface. Are you preaching the gospel? Are you giving them the good news? Are you teaching them that Jesus rose from the dead? There's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. Hallelujah. Let's close in prayer and then we can open up. But if you are listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you've never surrendered your life to him, the Bible says, whoever comes to me, I'll never put to shame. He requires all men to come to repentance and come to the knowledge of him. He says, I require all men. You can't make it without him. Stephen was getting stoned and we saw that picture that Jesus stood up to get him and bring him to the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. You cannot get to the God the Father through anyone else but Jesus. There's only one way to him. That's through the Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I really encourage you that you guys are listening because we don't know when you listen to this or what time you're going to listen to it, what year you're going to listen to it. Some people listen to stuff years. But I want to encourage you that God is outside of time. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he can forgive you. On that cross, there's no sin that you cannot be forgiven from. If there's a sin that he can't forgive you from, then you're saying that the devil's stronger than Jesus, that Jesus' blood is not good enough. But we have a sanctified blood, that our blood of the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And he's calling your name right now. He wants to know you. He wants to write your name in his book. He's known you before you were born, but he requires you to repent and make him your Lord of your life. He loves you. He's not here to hurt you. He's here to help you. The Holy Spirit comes to empower you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. You cannot please God other than faith. And the greatest way of faith is to put your trust in and belief in the Lordship of Jesus. So if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, it's pretty simple. That The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and confess from your mouth that he raised from the dead, you shall be saved. A promise from the Father. So, Father, I thank you tonight that people would understand how much you love them. That when we muck it up, when we get it wrong, when we don't, we're not obedient, when we don't seem to walk in faith, you always remain faithful. So, Lord, we can come humbly before you and we give our life to you. I thank you, Father. I repent of my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. Baptize me in your love. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Wash me with your blood. I thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you, Father, that you've already risen and gone before me to prepare a place for me. And, Lord, I thank you in this time and hour that you will overcome, that you are more than a conqueror. 
I'm a more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I repent of my sins and I thank you for washing me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer and you don't know Jesus, contact us. We'd love to hear your testimony. I want to encourage you today. We've won the victory already. Christ, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. We thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on Thursday. Remember, put Jesus first in every way. Preach the gospel, the good news. And out of the gospel, understanding what Jesus has done for you, you make all your decisions. And there's a dying world out there. And you might be the only one. You might be the only Jesus they see. Jesus in you. You might, you might come across one person that's never heard the gospel and may never hear it again. Think about that for a second. That you might come across someone that may never hear the gospel. He may, yeah, that's, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Have a hunger and a thirst to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Preach the good news to the, as Paul did, the unknown God. Amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you on Thursday in Jesus' name.